0: Oh my gosh, how's it going? Good, how are you? I'm good, I'm good, you know? Just, um, reveling in the last days before the stress just hits me like a truck.
1: Er, For school?
0: For school. It's already happening, I'm trying to, like, push it away from me and, like, not about it.
1: Yeah. But it's there. It do be there. It's there.
0: I looked at my course guide today, like, made a little list of everything I had to do. Mm Mm-hmm. And, um, I shouldn't have done that because I was just awake until 3 o'clock in the morning. Oh no. Being anxious. Oh no. (laughs) Like, that's just, I was like, I need to sleep. And then I was like, my anxiety was like, no, you need to stay awake and worry. And I was like, I can't do this right now. Oof. Yeah, okay, so let's have some fun and talk about some serial killers. (laughs) Should probably preface this by saying this case isn't that fun, but... (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a distraction from school, and that's really what I need in my life.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, I'm Sonia. I'm Maddie. And welcome to Grim. Woo! Okay. So um, this week, we are in Alabama. Um, if you know anything about the United States, the Alabama is a lot of jokes come from Alabama. Mm. Um, this man isn't a joke, but he he's not fun. Mm-mm. Not a good person. Um, this week we're talking about Thomas Warren Wisenhant. Um, I hope I'm saying his name right. It'll be in the podcast title and everything, but um, it's W-H-I-S-E-N-H-A-N-T, and he was a 63-year-old man from Alabama when he was executed by a lethal injection for the kidnapping, rape, and murder of Cheryl Lynn Payton in 1976. Um, He died on Tuesday, May 27th, 2010, and when he died, he was in jail for 32 years, eight months, and 20 days before he was actually executed. And um, this was actually longer than any other prisoner had spent on death row in the state of Alabama. Yeah, um, yeah he was there for a while. Um, but he was also the 241st person to be executed in state. So people have died in Alabama. He was just there for ever before yeah. he did.
1: What year was this?
0: Um, so the crimes took place in 1976, oh, okay. but he was executed in 2010. Oh, okay. yeah. Um, he was 63 years old oh. when he died. Um, apparently, the appeals took so long because the judge made improper statements to the juries that caused like two different reversals, and it just made it take forever. And it was, it really, he shouldn't have been, like, he should have been executed much oh, sooner. Okay um but it was like totally the judge's fault he like did something and the juries were like guys stop and and it was a legal thing I don't really understand law I study science so like (laughs) went way over my head but it happened um so in 1976 he abducted Cheryl Lynn Payton at gunpoint from the convenience store that she was working at she was 23 years old at the time she was only a few days away from turning 24 um and I, I believe she was a mother as well so it's very sad yeah she um then it was at gunpoint too like it was a convenience store like that's just if i don't know i for some reason to me i was like you like it's like a lower risk you know like all the high risk stuff that we talk about is like prostitutes or whatever yeah. but i don't know it's just it it scares me that that's possible yeah he then took her to this wooded area in rural Mobile County that was apparently very out of the way, very secluded. Like He knew, he knew the spot and stuff like that. And when he was there, he, um, he raped her on the front seat of his pickup truck, and then he took her out of his car to the field next to where the truck was, where he brought the truck, and then shot her once in the head with a thirty-two pistol. He then dragged her body out of the way, like further into this wooded area and then left the scene that day. Um, Just really Mm
1: -hmm. awful Mm -hmm. things.
0: Yeah. Um, The next day, he went back to where he had dumped her body in the woods and he went back to cut off a portion of her breast and to cut her abdomen open. Yeah. Um, He also removed her watch which he gave to his mm. wife as a present. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, that has happened a couple of times on, like, Criminal Minds and other, like, true crime things mm-hmm. that I've seen. And it's, it's just... Yeah, I hate it's it gross. so much. I yeah. hate it so much. Like, I, I can't... I, look. Like, there's just something about thinking about the fact that he murdered someone and took her stuff and then like gave it to someone else's yeah. present that just gets me every time and I really hate it. Um, but yeah, what did make it worse that her children were very young at the time that this happened. Um, she had two so, sons. Yeah. both very young. Yeah. Um, he was seen near the crime scene shortly after and was taken into custody that day after this whole chase happened. And while he was in custody, he gave this detailed confession. It was, it was just like a freely given confession. Like he knew that he was caught and he just gave it. In the confession, he admitted to killing and mutilating her, as well as two other women in the area within the last 18 months. Um, those two women were Venery Hyatt and Patricia Hitt. And on top of that, he confessed to assaulting an Air Force member, who was also a woman, and then he confessed to attacking his wife.
1: Yikes. Yeah.
0: Um, during the testimony trial, um, his wife, it's just, I don't know understand what this was, but she said that there was a time that her husband came up to her and said that he wanted to play a game to prove that he could outsmart the police. And the game was that he choked her until she blacked out. Like, he used a stocking to choke her until she blacked out. And then he persuaded her to write and sign a suicide note. Um, and that was the game Yikes! that he wanted
1: to. No, that's not a game. Yeah. I, I don't, I, no. I don't get it.
0: This whole event, this whole thing, um, in 1976, when he kidnapped and raped this uh, woman, Cheryl, um, it happened after a birthday party he had for his daughter. Oh, my God. And then after this birthday party, he dropped his mother off at home. Mm And I just don't understand how you can be so incredibly normal and then go out and... Kidnap a woman at
1: gunpoint.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So according to the record, the driving force behind this killing and his other killings, it wasn't money, sex, revenge, or passion. It really, he just did it because he wanted to. Mm. And um, they say it wasn't um, sex either because he only admitted to raping Peyton. Like he, I don't think he raped any of the other women. No um and it wasn't money either because the only thing that he ever took from one of his victims was the watch that he gifted to his wife that he took from Peyton so it really like yes. what did he do it for really weird yeah um he also apparently committed all of these crimes in silence like he didn't say anything to any of the women and after they were dead, he spent hours mutilating their bodies as he just smoked and drank in silence next to them.
1: Wait, what? He'd...
0: Like, he was just silent. He would just do things like like he would attack these women and just be completely silent, like he wouldn't say anything.
1: Oh, he'd... okay, he'd mutilate the bodies, and then afterwards he'd be silent next to
0: them. Well, the whole time he would be silent.
1: Okay, I thought you were... Sorry, I got confused. I was like, how could he mutilate the bodies while sitting next to them? Okay. Sorry. <laughs> um, okay,
0: so Thomas Warren Wisenhant was born in 1947 to a poor family in Pritchard, and his household apparently was a hostile environment with a dominating mother who often physically attacked her husband, who was, like, a bit weaker and oftentimes encouraged her kids to partake in said violence. Well, I feel violence.
1: like that's the motivation right there. <laughs> you know,
0: I do, like, every single time, I don't think there's been, like, a, a serial killer that we've talked about who's had
1: a happy yeah. childhood
0: with no trauma. Like, I, well, I except, definitely no, feel like no, there's no. something involved. I was going
1: to say, except for Israel Keys, but he said his childhood was normal, but it really wasn't. Anyway,
0: yeah. continue. <laughs> like, even, like, I just, maybe stop abusing your children. Yeah, that would be a good thought. I feel like that might get rid of some of the serial killers. Only potentially.
1: People. Um,
0: um, in 1977 when he was on trial for capital murder his sister Evelyn Stevens testified against Higgs um, or not against him just like testified in the court as to like details of his life or whatever and um, she mentioned that Wisenhant had slept in the same bed as their mother until he was (gasps) 7 years old and in the same room as his mother until he was 16 years old
1: did the other kids um, have separate
0: rooms? I think so, because it was just him in the room with her. Interesting. But then also according to William Rudder, who was his like psychiatrist, um, he said, quote, Tommy resented his mother, he was afraid of her, end quote. So there was a very it's like a very weird yeah, dynamic weird that he had with his mother because like he was like very dependent on her but also hated her. Um, according to Claude Brown, who is another psychiatrist who testified, he believed that the mur- like the motive for the murder was because the women that he murdered were substitutes for his mother. Like he said that they were direct represent re- representatives of his mother who were annihilated by him in order to maintain his like persona of her. Yeah,
1: that, that sounds um, like the motivation. Yeah, makes
0: sense. It was really I think it was only him who said it because like in the other articles I read, like there they said that there really wasn't a motive um but this it yeah, makes, sense this makes sense that that they were um substitutes for his mother um according to Stephen's testimony after their mother had Tommy she ended the sexual component of her relationship with her husband but then he would get drunk and try to like seduce her her uh, mother would then start screaming at him and at that point even encouraged the children to hit their father with like their shoes or other household objects so she was
1: very extra it was just not a good environment
0: yeah I don't think like growing up and seeing that would be mentally stable for anyone um yeah and their mother was also apparently very controlling about money like she would go through her husband's paycheck to make sure that it was the exact amount that he gave her and then would also accuse him of stealing money so there was a lot of fighting in the house and their father would actually get like the worst of their mother's wrath like most of the times she would yell at him and then tell the kids to also yell at him and like hit him and stuff so weird
1: that she encouraged the Um, children to do it yeah. Right?
0: Like, I don't know what was going on in her head. I kind of want to read the psychological evaluation of her yeah. as well. But yeah. um, in her testimony, she said, quote, I can remember a lot of times when my daddy was all bruised up. I can remember many times I would tell her, I would say, Mama, please just leave him alone. Come on back and leave him alone. But you know, she always told us, your daddy keeps you from having anything because he drinks all the time. And I was convinced that was the case, and I always defended her. End quote. So, yeah, it was a very weird home environment. Very manipulative. Um, very yeah. manipulative. It does seem like there's a lot of emotional yeah. stuff there. Their mother was also very overprotective of Tommy. Like, she basically babied him. Um, like, whenever he was at fault for anything, um, she would just erase that. She'd be like, oh, it wasn't your fault. Like, you didn't do anything wrong. Um, if he wanted anything, he got it, yeah, and not good. along with that, she not yeah. at all. Uh, she also never let Tommy out of her sight um, until this one time when he got in trouble, and that's when things really changed for him and, like, their relationship. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, um, and Tommy changed as well. According to his sister, they were fine until he was around 12, and then he started becoming more violent and sometimes would even turn on their mother. Um, apparently, their mother had this accident when she was younger that, like, I don't really know what happened to her, but her lower arm was really weak, and Tommy would just grab that arm <gasps> to hurt her. Oh, god, okay. um, yeah, I don't know, yikes, um, big yikes. So, just what I'm getting from this is that it, there was just a lot of emotional turmoil in that okay. household, and there was a lot that they definitely needed to work through with, like, a family therapist yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, one night, Stephen says that she was making candy when she heard a car backfire. So she went outside, and it turned out that it was actually a gunshot, and a woman had been killed. Not good. Uh, yeah. Um... <laughs> The police found the gun that was used to kill her next to their house and Sami was instantly a suspect, which makes sense because before this, he had also been involved in other minor crimes like theft, you know, like purse snatching. Um, He was also involved in, like, a minor assault of some women that was never charged, but it was there, Mm -hmm. he did it. Um, So when this woman shows up dead next to them in their house, had like the gun right near it he was instantly a suspect um after the shooting he was taken into custody but and then during like the interview about this incident he was apparently very indifferent about the fact that a woman had just been shot and killed next to him
1: Mm, yeah that's that's not a good sign it's it's very much not a a good sign
0: (laughs) Um the police captain said that they recommended that he get psychiatric mm-hmm. help. But at that point his parents said that they didn't think there was anything no, wrong. No, I think. So they didn't I get think him help. It's like
1: that audio on TikTok where it's like there is nothing wrong with my child and it's like the child in question, but like very seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah, he is the child is, in question yeah. and he needs psychiatric uh-huh. help. Yeah. Um he also testified at the the police captain also testified at the murder trial. Um, in 1977, and said that before this woman was killed, his friends were like playing with a stolen gun, and he had taken a bullet from the gun, marked it with an X, and then said that that bullet was going to kill someone.
1: You yeah, know, no, that's no.
0: Everything about this is mm-hmm.
1: concerning
0: to me. Everything yeah. about it. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a licensed therapist or psychologist, but even yeah, someone but who's this not point, a licensed you therapist or psychologist yeah. can tell that there's something wrong. Um, yeah. Regarding his state of mind, the drawn conclusion was that the attacks likely stemmed from his abnormal childhood,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but they also said that he was definitely aware of his actions while he was committing
1: crime. Yeah.
0: So they couldn't, so he couldn't even be like, I was mentally impaired at the time and didn't know what I was doing. He was definitely conscious and he was aware that he was doing these things. And like, for me personally, like I understand that a childhood can be incredibly traumatizing and that can cause someone to act out.
1: But, but yeah, there's, there's a point. It's not like, an excuse for, there's a lot of people. It, it's not who an do excuse. Do go through traumatic childhoods and don't murder people.
0: Exactly. Like it it's, they need to take responsibility yeah. for their actions if they've done something because you might have trauma that you shouldn't no. be killing people. That's just not okay. Yeah. Um, so, as you can probably tell from what I've mentioned with his mother and him, the, any psychiatrist at court um, kind of came to the same conclusion that he was really spoiled as a child and he never really mm. matured. Um, like, there was this whole thing about him sharing a bedroom with his mother until he was sixty. Yeah, that is
1: very concerning to me
0: <laughs> yeah it, incredibly yeah. so and there was nothing sexual implied. still that... like
1: um, like a maturity thing like that it was stated like i don't know
0: yeah they said it caused him to be very dependent on his mother like it's a
1: different thing which if you just unhealthy. don't have space in your house and you're all like sharing a room but like if you have the option You know? I don't know. Yeah. It's weird. Exactly.
0: Like, even sharing a room with a sibling would be better than with your mother. It was, yeah. It was weird. Um, But they did say that this dependency, um, a side effect of that dependency was this resentment that he had for her. So, she could have done better. She could have done better. She I just... I feel like you need to do some research before having a child, and the first thing that you should understand in that research is that you shouldn't share a bed with them until they're seven, and then force them to sleep in the same room with you until they're sixteen, because that's probably not. And then give
1: them everything they want, with and bail them of trouble, blame them no matter what they did. Yeah,
0: exactly. So, yeah. Um, Like I mentioned before, Tommy's father was also an alcoholic. And he didn't stand up for himself against the abuse that he got from his wife. So um, he really had no functional father figure or male role model either, and that probably caused some of his problems and was apparently looking at him and looking at what his father was doing. That was apparently what Tommy felt about himself, Mm. which is also probably what caused him to want to lash out at
1: these women who he, like, substituted for his mother. So he saw himself as kind of like his father okay yeah
0: and I think he wanted to against retaliate against what his against... mother
1: did to his father what his okay mother...
0: yeah um so again very psychological he just needs therapy mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: yeah <laughs> um, all right so this was the evidence that was presented at the trial Um, a man called Robert Lowell testified that he drove past the convenience store at 845 on October 16th, 1976. And during that time, he saw Cheryl Lynn Payton in the store and during the trial and everything, he identified that it was her with photographs. So they knew that she was there at 840, not 945. Um, He also stated that on that evening it was raining and that he saw her sweeping water away from the entrance. So it was definitely her. She was there. Um, A man called Tris Lowe also stated that he and his fiance stopped at the convenience store at 8.30. And he also saw Peyton there at the time. He again identified her from photographs. Um, He left at that point, but then stated that he went back to the store at 10 p.m. And at 10 p.m. the store was empty and there were no cars in the parking lot. And he also mentioned that he saw a Coke machine that was open and had the keys in the lock and that there was a broken pack of Coke on the floor and a mop nearby. So 9.45, she was definitely there. 10 p.m., the store is in, like, a mess, and she's gone. When Tris Lowe saw the scene... He attempted to call the police using the payphone, but the receiver was broken and there were these like Miller beer pony bottles, which is like, like a beer bottle, but like the pony bottle is just like the type, I guess. I don't really know that much about beer, but that's what Google said. <laughs> um, so he went inside the store to use the phone to call the police. Okay. Um, a man called Gary Risher testified that he and his friend George Pendarvis were on a hunting trip on October 17th, so this is the day after, um, and at 6 p.m. they said that they saw a man standing on the side of the road just watching them drive towards him. Mm, no. Yeah. If I saw a man on the side of the road, I would yeah, drive away. Totally <laughs> yui. <laughs> I would, I would yeah. be Yui and then mm-hmm. leave. Uh-huh. So, but these are two men who are on a hunting trip. They have their guns and whatever. So they pulled by this man and asked him what he was doing. And they said that the man on the side of the road said he was just walking around. Um, Apparently, the two thought that he was night hunting. So they said, quote, well, we know what you are doing here, end quote, as the man walked towards the highway. And I think that kind of spooked him a little bit. You know, yeah. It would spook me, too, if I had committed a crime and someone said, I know what you're doing I think here. I would say crime would
1: spook me in general.
0: <laughs> you're, you're right. You're right. It would spook me yeah. in general. <laughs> I would I would be spooked. <laughs> um, the next Monday, uh, Gary and George um, identified him in a lineup. And in court, they identified him as the same man. Um, this is Thomas Warren Wisenhap, by the way. They identified so that man. <laughs> Um, so, Richter and Pendarvis were hunting on Charles Edwin Tripp Sr.'s land, so I think they got, like, a permission from this man to hunt on his land, and on Sunday evening, this was, like, they hadn't, this was before the lineup or whatever on Monday, um, on Sunday evening, they had actually told Tripp that what they had seen, they had seen a man just wandering around on his property, and they thought he was Mm -hmm. hunting. Um, So Tripp drove down to where uh, the two saw him on Monday, October 18th, and he walked out onto the field, like that was off the highway where this man was standing, and there he discovered the body of a woman. According to Tripp, she was wearing knee-high stockings and a blue denim shirt, and there were no cuts on her body so Tripp went back to his house to call the police the police got there within 15 minutes and they went back to the field but the body what? was gone they did see drag marks leading away from where he first saw the body and they followed the drag marks and found her body close to the woods this time there were cuts all over her body there was a carton of Miller beer pony bottles near her head and she had like the 15 minutes that it took the police yeah, to get say, there. Yeah, how long was this? Oh. I mean, obviously he had to walk back to his house and call the police, yeah, but like, like it couldn't have been more than 20, yeah. 25 minutes. Yeah. Um he also mentioned to the police that he saw a white pickup truck on the road and said that after they found her body again, an officer went back to call it in and while that was happening, he saw the same truck come back down the road. Stop! Turn around and speed away. Sketch. <laughs> Sketch. <laughs> um, so one officer went to go chase down the truck. Apparently, according to the record, they were driving at around eighty to hundred miles per hour. And keep in mind, this isn't like the highway. Like this is a small oh, it's just town. Just like a back road. Yeah, this is just like a back road on this man's property, like by this big field Yikes. in Alabama. So like it's like a. I'd imagine it would be—it wouldn't be like a windy road that you'd see, like yeah. in Massachusetts somewhere. But still, it's not yeah. a highway. Like you shouldn't be going that fast. Um, while it's going this fast, the driver jumped out of the truck and ran into the woods. Wait, out of a moving vehicle. Obviously, the... out of a moving vehicle. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and the truck crashed shortly after obviously it's going very <laughs> yeah. fast there's no one steering, it will crash um, but it's a truck you have to register oh, yeah. yourself and your truck so they checked that they identified who it belonged to it was. It belonged to Wisenhant and he was just gone in the woods at this point Like he, oh, he's just in the he woods he just <laughs> left he just left um so they got his wife to come out to the scene um and she used like one of the loudspeaker things oh you know the ones on the police yeah. cars or whatever like a megaphone and um she asked him to come out and then he yelled back from in the woods he yelled quote baby I have done everything they said I did and quote gross <laughs> But he didn't come out, so they had to go <laughs> into the woods to like, get- he's like, kind
1: close. Like, where does he think he's getting away, like? I don't know. Oh my god. Um, he was just there. In the... Just calling out. A just very bad out. game of Marco Polo. <laughs> oh my
0: god. <laughs> that is exactly what it was. Did he
1: really think there was a chance for him?
0: <laughs> I don't- I don't know what was going oh, through God. his head. Like, he really went back to the scene of a crime, dragged the corpse away, mutilated her body, and then was in his truck.
1: Like... In, like, 15 minutes.
0: And also, first of all, if you don't want to be suspicious, you don't see a police car stop, turn around, and then speed yeah. away. that ain't it. Like, clearly, this man wasn't trying to escape. Yeah. Like... That's not. That's not how you flee police. Yeah. Um, so anyway, they went back into the woods to go like hunt him down or whatever, and he said, "quote SOBs, I'm going to make you kill me." quote um, And then he was handcuffed and taken into police custody because where is he going <laughs> to go?
1: <laughs> oh boy.
0: Yeah. Um. All right. So this is. I found the court case for his like whole thing it was very long was very many words that i didn't know but this is the conclusion and i think it sums it up pretty nicely so it says quote Wisenhant filed his uh, this appeal seeking federal habeas relief from his second conviction and third death sentence oh. for the 1977 murder of cheryl payton we hold that Wisenhant received effective assistance of counsel at his 1981 trial because trial counsel made a reasonable strategic decision not to present evidence of insanity. In addition, the FBI profile reports and a co statement were not material to either the 1981 guilt phase trial where no evidence of insanity was presented or to the 1987 penalty phase trial where abundant evidence of mental illness was presented. The prosecutor's closing argument that no co-worker had testified that Wisenhant was insane did not misstate the evidence and properly respond to the defense's closing argument. Finally, the trial judge did not evidence bias or partially partiality. That's not a word. (laughs) Against Wisenhant when it signed an order prior to the 1987 trial granting Wisenhant's motions for funds for a psychiatrist. As Wisenhant is not entitled to relief on any of his claims, the judgment of the district court is... And then they went into, like, his sentence or whatever. So, yeah, I thought that was very interesting because they didn't present any thing of insanity. They, they didn't talk about that at all, and then they did. But, I mean, it's not enough to be, like... You're free of all charges just because you were mentally insane or whatever. Yeah. So, um, he was very clearly in clear mind when he...
1: He knew what he was doing.
0: He knew what he was doing. Which is honestly terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he was given the death penalty, he was in jail, and then he was executed, but he did have visitors before he was executed. Um, Bill Hodel is a death penalty opponent who visited him frequently and before he ended up moving to St. Louis. Um, so he had him as a vis- visitor. And then one of the other people who visited him was Mara Tillman. Um, her uncle, Larry Tillman, was the arresting officer in 1976. Oh, interesting yeah i don't know why she was. Would... what's going on in her head too like
1: yeah
0: uh, yeah according to his attorney richard cohen mara had actually written to him multiple times to understand why he did what he did and apparently through these correspondences she became from someone who hated him to someone who visited him regularly
1: hmm. i'm not sure i love that i don't know what i don't love yeah. it either
0: Um, And what's more, apparently he left her all of his belongings and the $96.24 in his inmate account.
1: Wow. Really? Well, Uh, Yeah.
0: (laughs) You know, take what you will from that. (laughs) Okay. Somehow he can write enough or justify his actions enough that she visited him regularly. I really hate that, though. Like, God, um... Also, apparently, this man was very devout. Like, on his last day, he spent most of his time reading the Bible, and then was baptized before he
1: died. I really don't get why that happens to so many inmates. They just become so religious. Yeah, it's always Christianity.
0: Like, it's always, they just start reading the Bible. But I have seen it multiple times, too, with a couple of different other serial killers. Very weird. Where they just want to get baptized again like I don't
1: know if that's going to save you <laughs> You I don't think
0: the Christian God is that forgiving to forgive for murder
1: like, I mean I don't know man
0: you think you could just like
1: get away with it I don't know
0: like is that what the Bible says I like genuinely don't know what the Bible says but I mean, does it does say, say that say if
1: you like forgiveness but I don't know if it's I don't know
0: God does forgiveness extend to murder <laughs> I don't
1: know I don't know enough about Christianity.
0: <laughs> okay, that's a lot for me, because if forgiveness extends to everything, who's in hell? Like, is The people who what? don't believe.
1: <laughs> Apparently.
0: <laughs> I just, imagine you're, like, an actual murderer and a rapist, and you just baptize yourself and go to heaven, but then some person who's an atheist and, like, is a good person, just goes to hell. That's very yeah,
1: bad. To me. That's why it confuses me
0: yikes anyway
1: um he did the whole bible thing before if he got- anyone actually knows how christianity works let us know
0: <laughs> yeah honestly please like or did what we just say is that correct because if it is and i have a few i'm gonna issues. be shook i i have very many issues with that <laughs> um yeah just, that's a lot um, also, before he was executed, in the visitation room, the people who came to see him off sang Amazing Grace to him.
1: Wait, can you repeat that?
0: In the visitation room before he was executed, like, the people who came to see him off, like, to mm-hmm. see him die, they sang Amazing Grace to him. Wow.
1: Love that for him.
0: You know, I gotta say, the fact that he's a murderer makes me think that he didn't Yeah, maybe that.
1: a little bit. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Um, he declined last words, but right before he was going to be executed, he raised his left hand as far as he could, and he smiled presumably at the people who were watching him be executed. Wait, waving? Like, I think it was like a yes. little wave to the people who supported him. Kind of gross. Really yeah. gross. <laughs> um, especially because Peyton's family were there, and they witnessed this. Like, they saw this action happen. They saw him wave or like whatever or acknowledge his supporters and they were there because he had killed their family yeah yeah Uh, her husband was there and he said quote he had no remorse none he died a much easier death than my wife and he did he did I can't even imagine what she went through and he just went to sleep. After being baptized. <laughs> Don't forget that. After being baptized, after being in jail, after having people just sing amazing grace to him.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, her brother was there as well and said that there really wasn't justice served. They watched him die an easy death. Yeah, that's...
1: Yeah.
0: And, like, obviously, it he... He was on death row Mm -hmm. because he did these terrible things, but they are very right. Where he just, I I feel like he,
1: yeah, that is one of the arguments against the death penalty. Actually, it's kind of an easy way out. I understand it. It really is an easy way out. Like, and a lot of people want it. Like, uh, Israel Keys, he's one of the people who's like, just I'll give you information, but then you have to kill me.
0: Yeah, because I feel like it's just like, like easy. Like, and it it bothers me so much because these people have inflicted so much pain on other. Usually, people on death row have been murderers, like those who have killed people.
1: Yeah,
0: it's it's a lot for me. Um, His attorney, Richard Cohen, um, he was on the case for twenty-three years, and he was one who did argue insanity. Um, In this insanity little thing that he said was that he was in jail in the 1960s for attempting to murder a member of the U.S. Air Force while he was also serving and then during that time he was diagnosed as psychotic with paranoid schizophrenia so he said that he was just insane and shouldn't be prosecuted to the full extent of the law because of this mental illness. Um, and then in a letter from his sister, she wrote, quote, "I know there are a lot of people in Mobile who are jubilant and saying this is a long time coming, but upon reflection, this is a sad day for the state of Alabama because the state is executing a man who is clearly mentally ill, and it's very, very sad."
1: Me, yeah, I can see that,
0: and so I get that it was it was sad that they executed him for that, but. He didn't deserve to be free yeah, at all, Definitely not. which was like he deserved to be behind yeah. bars. Um, so, yeah, I can't actually like based on this letter that she wrote, I can't tell if she is saying that she's sad that he was executed or she sad because he was executed because he was mentally ill. You know what yeah. I mean? And I feel like if she said it was sad that he was executed because he was mentally ill, like I understand yeah. that. But if she was saying that it was just sad that he was executed, like that's a lot for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that is the case that I have this week for you. Um, one of the sources that I used has like the direct appeal that happened and like the case, like transcript or whatever, and I will link that below, just in case like you wanted more information on the evidence used and everything, because there was a bit more that I just didn't get into. Um, yeah, it's a long document. So if you're gonna read it, like, prepare confusing. yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, that's the case, and I hope you enjoyed listening to me telling it to you. Yeah. Obviously, the case wasn't that it's great, scary. but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I wonder why we do this. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, what is it in my brain that's like, let me just research some true crime. Yeah, let
1: me just, yeah. Look more into this scary stuff.
0: <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm like these things have happened. Yeah, you know. I feel like that's very important to know that they do yeah. happen because you live in this little bubble where you're like that's never gonna happen to me. Yeah, I sure will thought that too. But it, it's real. There are bad people out there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay, do you want to end on like a better note? <laughs>
1: No, I would like to end, have me life life. <laughs> end it right here. Um, Let's see. Well, I'm currently like literally so full. It's disgusting because I just <laughs> ate a lot of Olive Garden and it's not Ooh. a good idea. But it was um, oh, very God. yummy. <laughs> What did you get from all I did, like, the make-your-own-pasta. Well, I also got an appetizer. Well, I was so hungry, like, ordering my food that I ordered so much food. And, uh-huh. yeah. So I had the oh, – it was, like, some kind of, like, stuffed ziti. It was really good. Ooh, that was my appetizer. <laughs> and then I had the breadsticks, obviously. Obviously. And then I had the make-your-own-pasta. And I got – um Like a marinara cheese sauce And with some chicken on top It was so good good. I literally am Disgustingly full though So (laughs) I'm living with the consequences It's fine, treat yourself Oh yeah, for sure (laughs) But yeah, that's what's up with me Um I don't know, I don't really have much else to Tell, I don't think What about you, do you have any life updates? Um
0: Oh, when you said Olive Garden Red then the only thing I could think about is um, Nobody, no crime by Teddy. Oh t- my uh-
1: god, I didn't even think about that. So... <laughs> uh- oh my god, yes.
0: <laughs> but yeah, um oh, that's
1: it for
0: me. Oh I got um uh, one of like the PCR COVID tests the other day. And it was the worst experience of my entire life. Is that the like brain one? Um Well, no, it's like the one that you got at CVS and you do it yourself, so you just like stick it up like an oh, inch. Okay. So it's not bad but the thing was like my mom and I went together because we both like had appointments that were 10 minutes apart so we just mm-hmm. went together and my dad went in a different car um and so we got there and the lady like hands us the bag and she's like have you done it before and we were like yeah we've done it before because I did it a couple months mm-hmm. ago um mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> And then she was like, cool. So she hands us the bag and then she leaves and she comes back like five minutes later with a Diet Coke and she's just sitting there drinking the Diet Coke. And my mom and I are sitting in the car like, are you going to like, are you, you going to go through the instructions? Like, I know we've done it before, but you're still supposed to go through mm-hmm. them. And she just did it. <laughs> um, so it was, it was really, cause like, like, I feel like it's like a, a test, you know, yeah. like it's a COVID test. You want to do it right. So you get the results correctly yeah. um,
1: and it's just she just didn't she was very unhelpful yeah,
0: and I think my mom did it wrong oh, no. so you know we'll see
1: yeah yeah that's why for my school when we went back in the after the summer and when we're going back now they have they send us we get sent the COVID test to our house and we do it ourselves so it's it makes me very wary that some people probably aren't doing it right and then they could just return yeah. to campus and also they didn't give us a timeline on timeline on when we should complete it so like it's literally two weeks before we're going back to school now and i just got mine in the mail and i'm like i shouldn't do mine now because it's two weeks and i still have to work this week
0: yeah, like damn. that's
1: very concerning to me but anyway I'm so have you gotten your results back yet or
0: i haven't gotten it for that yet but i um because I'm flying out soon so I tried to get a rapid test and um, I was negative for the rapid That's test. Good. I know it's like not as accurate but um, yeah. I'm hoping my PCR is actually negative as well because my friend texted me and she was like I just got on the flight and they said that if you don't have proof of a test it's a 500 pound wow. fine and I haven't been told anything about this so I'm assuming it's not going into so stuff. that I'm flying. But you
1: on the flight? Interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. Well I mean I think it was like like, you're just, you have to quarantine, like, it's mandatory to quarantine or whatever anyway. Yeah. But no, they haven't, so far, they haven't put in any, like, restrictions in there. Like, you have to get the test done. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we'll see what happens. We'll hope that my PCR one gets back soon. Uh-huh. If I did it right, I don't, I don't even... I... Yeah.
1: But that's good that you're able to go back, because they have a... They're in another lockdown now, right?
0: Yeah. yeah. But life is good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. I will be having another mental breakdown. Oh, for sure. Soon. <laughs> for
1: sure. Yeah.
0: Hopefully I'll be before the next episode, so I
1: won't have it <laughs> during <laughs> recording. I'm still waiting to go back to school and then get sent home a week later, so... <laughs>
0: i mean that didn't happen last time though so maybe maybe it didn't but
1: i think there's gonna be another lockdown when or at least gonna be suggested strongly suggested that there should be another lockdown when biden gets in
0: Uh, oh you know what yeah right you're right i forgot that this is a new year and hopefully a new start to this country
1: villanova's like nope we don't see that (laughs) so i don't know (laughs) what they're doing
0: they put their faith in god apparently <laughs> tell father what's his name father mm-hmm. peter tell father peter to just pray harder i will I will.
1: Okay. Keep, <laughs> keep us all wait here.
0: ask father peter about our religion question
1: i will i talk to him often <laughs> <laughs> could you imagine a special guest step. on our next episode oh yeah <laughs> um, i can't
0: That'd be good. Yeah. Be good for yeah. Alright, do you have anything else to add? Oh, that's it
1: for me. You got anything?
0: Wait. Right. I don't. Well, thank you guys for listening if you've made yeah. it this far into our life thank update. Kind of went on a tangent. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but you can also check us out on our social media. Um, our Instagram is grim podcast and you can follow us like our photos dm us from there there's a button to email us you can email us at thegrimpodcast at gmail.com um email us stories of your own like creepy ghosty stories if you have any um or um suggestions for cases or like if we you know like our question about christianity in this one if we have a question that you know the answer to (laughs) if you know the answer to our
0: religion questions
1: (laughs) hit us up let us know um we also have a facebook grim podcast and a twitter podcast grim and other than that just um tell your friends and family about us and give us a good review yeah we'll see you guys next week
0: stay safe stay healthy